You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, where you will meet entrepreneurs, cultivators, scientists, doctors, and inventors in the cannabis industry. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, marketer and publicist in the cannabis industry. Today we meet Adrian Adams. He's the New York Director for Minorities for Medical Marijuana and has spent years working as an advocate for the social equity community in many ways. And once again, he's looking for innovative ways to uplift those who deserve a chance to thrive in the cannabis industry. Adrian is brokering deals to bring together successful business owners and license holders who need their expertise to attract investor capital. It's a solution that will give investors the confidence to invest in social equity entrepreneurs and give everyone a fair shake at the industry. Let's meet Adrian. Also about the Minorities for Medical Marijuana program, just like kind of an update of, you know, where it stands, I guess what you're doing and then go into what you segued into Okay. and how you're trying to help the community. All right, uh, I'm Dr. Adrian Adams, New York State Director of Minorities for Medical Marijuana. Uh, we're a nonprofit organization that's national. We have state directors across the country and multiple programs uh, where we run expungement clinics. We do educational seminars through HBCUs uh, and we help advise on policy in many different state legislatures, as well as with the federal government uh, through our affiliation with uh, a lobbying company called Banks and Company. Mm -hmm. um, so we're doing a lot on, on, on many fronts, not just uh, the medical marijuana front, but, but uh, adult use as well. And what we're really trying to, to do now is to actually organize around the, the concept of descheduling of, of marijuana versus rescheduling because that creates, while it, it does appear to be a step forward, it does create its own set of uh, hassles in and of itself. Um, right now, uh, as an individual in New York State itself, I'm working with several different nonprofit groups to provide advisory um, commentary for the regulations as they've been coming out. But the New York State Office of Cannabis Management has, hasn't taken the recommendations of anyone for the most part, in part because they're not fully staffed yet. They seem to feel that around 300 people are what's required to fully staff out that agency and they're about half that right now. Mm -hmm. So you don't have, there's a lot of things that just, there just aren't enough hands there yet. Mm -hmm. So you think that's the real problem of, of what's happening in the OCM? Well, one of part the, of it. Part, part of, of it. it. Okay. Yeah. Right. Part of it, of course. Of it, yeah. yeah. It's, right. it's a little, little bigger issue than that. But um, right now, what I see is that we have the, the reality on the ground is that we have many, many licensees uh, in, New, in New York in particular and in New Jersey as well. You have a lot of social equity licensees, a lot of conditional licensees here in New Jersey that have a license but don't have a business. 
And at the end of the day, that's why the, the, everybody's wondering what's going on. How come there isn't more happening? And if there isn't more happening because licensees can't get funded. So part of what needs to come out of events um, like Gary George's conference here is that we have more licensees that are capable of being funded. And the way that that can happen is by them creating um, master services agreements with people who are actually successful with a long track record and good books and tax returns uh, from out west to actually come this way and share the things that they've learned. Their trials and tribulations have resulted in SOPs that they use to operate that are proven they're winning in whatever market they are. If they're coming from, you know, for instance, at Colorado, they've seen price compression there that would blow people's minds. I mean, you know, talking about four and $500 pounds of, of wheat. And, you know, you have to know what you're doing in order to do that. Otherwise you won't be operating efficient enough to survive. Right. So you take that knowledge, that, that know-how, and those companies are companies that investors are willing to invest in. They're winning. Right. They, they can actually say, if we do A, B, and C, you will be paid off by X amount of time. This is how many months it will probably take. And they're doing it under the worst conditions right now with 280E and all the other regulations that exactly. are burdensome but on their bottom these, line. If these companies are winning under 280E, yeah. in a market where the price compression is just unreal. Uh, they're somebody that you can actually invest in. And it's much, much less of a gamble than somebody who's a licensee who has a license and a dream. Even, even with a good plan, you still, uh, you know, are not as, as safe a bet. It's just the facts, you know? Mm -hmm. So if we can actually take these licensees and find companies that are winners in, in this particular sector, be it cultivation, manufacturing, dispensing, and create agreements that are not predatory. That's yes. a large problem. Right. And everybody can win. Right, right. That's, that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to find investors who, who are looking to get into the market but aren't sure where to go, but know a good company when they see it. And finding uh, and licensees who are willing to understand that this is just the first of many deals. Many of these licensees are young people. Right, right. They have a, they have a long career in business ahead of them. We right. need to create a good deal to create a platform upon which they can continue to grow as a business person. Right. So if I can bring them into this, I have a, a, a selection of companies that I went to them and I said, look, you're obviously good at what you do. Let's look at your books. Let's look, look at what's happening. And if everything looks good, I say, okay, great. Are you willing to do good by people who have licenses but don't have this experience and know-how? I said, I don't mind you making your money, coming in and having a contract where you can do three, four, five years of work and at the end of it, you just leave without equity. Right. And surprisingly, I found a few that said yes. So 
you know, this is a situation where a licensee can come in with nothing but the license and a good work ethic. I mean, they have to be good people like, right. at the end of the day. But, you know, after uh, uh, the five-year term, let's say, is up, you now have a cultivation or a dispensary or a manufacturing lab, whatever it may be, that's making you five, ten, fifteen million dollars a year that you can continue to operate or you can sell for a multiple of revenue. Either way, cannabis is delivered for them and they can move on to further their business career after that. I know a lot of people are really concerned about, you know, the West Coast entrepreneurs coming into the New York market. They want to give the New Yorkers, even though they, they are from New York, went to the West Coast to start their business and then are trying to get back into New York. I feel like there's a big gate up with all the people who are currently in New York. But I agree with you. It's kind of like the necessary evil, either working with these proven entrepreneurs out West. And also, do you feel the same way with like the MSOs? The, do you think they're an opportunity for people who hold these licenses, but don't know how to move forward because they don't have the money or the uh, ma you know, management infrastructure? I'm not a fan of of handing over new licensees to M to MSOs because, I mean, generally speaking, your, your MSOs they have a different way of operating. They have a different agenda. the The products that they that they produce generally the quality is not as not as good. Um, I What's that? Why but is that? They could a, get the best of the best to manage their grow and cost. But I've heard that. But cost. I've, they're not very good at keeping costs down. You know, you go into their grow facility and there's workers everywhere. There's there's just a lot of inefficiency. Hmm. You know, even when even I've gone to meetings with these guys where, you know, the MSO people have showed up on different jets in different, you know. Uh, you know, uh, Lincoln Navigator cars with thousand dollar shoes, and they're like, it all adds up. At the end of the day, the money has to come from somewhere, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know. And it's it's just a different mindset as a general rule. I would rather take a, a company that just does one thing really, really well. That they started as a bootstrapping entrepreneur, yeah, understand somebody, what it's somebody, like to be in the mud bring it up they did it exactly right but i have heard there is this new kind of wave of the mso's partnering with legacy growers uh truly did it with uh alien nine in uh, florida i know someone else who's making a deal i don't know if it's out there yet but um i've heard it you know for a couple different mso's which i think is great and it seems to be positive but maybe that will change their mindset but they are corporate and they do have a board and like look what just happened with tilt well I, that's I kind happen, of what you're talking I about to, i happen to know some of the people who are directly affected by tilt just deciding to pull the plug right and and that was you know that's a case where you have an mso who comes out to, to play savior and then just decides one day to take their ball and go home mm-hmm but I wonder if those brands that were affected by Tilt, uh, were they not, do you happen to know, were they just not 
producing well in the marketplace? Was that the reason? I mean, what what do they what do you know what that reason was for them to do that? Because it seems like they pulled all, you know, women, everybody kind they, of the, they the left, they left um the Shinnecock Nation right. Indian, uh, tribe in the middle of a build out of a dispensary. Um, and several other companies were starting to operate in multiple states who were just taking off. Yeah, right. And so you don't even know. Right. Everybody, right. Everybody's right. still. Everybody was the wheels. Build it, the wheels. The wheels were coming off the ground. They were getting lift off. Right. And, you, you know, if you take a good look at what else Tilt was doing at that time, it's uh, it, it, it really wasn't a, a money situation. Yeah, it was a it was yeah. claimed to be a money situation, but when you looked at what, what was going on oh. until behind the scenes, oh, there, there were there were other things that were costing them a hell of a lot more money. Oh, oh, okay. Um, I just, yeah. But in any event, that's their business, right? Whatever. I just personally think that if I can get in a relationship where I'm dealing with the licensee, I'm dealing with the uh, owner operators of these uh, larger companies with experience coming in and everybody's above board. Everybody has the same agenda and everybody has a clear understanding that this is about building this licensee's company. And are you just working with licensees in New York and New Jersey right now? Have you just, have, have you, are you? No, I'm working with, with, licensees and companies nationwide nationwide oh, so yeah. everywhere so you just saw the, the the challenge of these entrepreneurs the, the possibility of failure it's, so it's you're really coming the to... same problem in each state it just depends on where the state is in their cannabis journey right every state's at a different place some haven't begun the journey yet you know right. and then you have others that have you know obviously been in front and center for a long time in california colorado oregon things like that but you know, everybody's at a different place, but everybody's experiencing the same trials and tribulations. Right. And it seems the more handholding that each state has professed to try to do for the social equity licenses in particular, the, the more of a delay it's been in, in, you know, getting them from one side of the street to the other to progress through standing up their business. Mm -hmm. And the longer this takes, the more drawn out this is, if and when we do get to federal uh, legalization, nobody's going to be stood up enough to withstand the tsunami of money and, and that's going to sweep through the industry. And I, I totally agree. And I'm, I've been an, a big advocate or looking closely at how these incubator accelerator programs or how states are supporting their social equity programs. And there's obviously a, a big problem everywhere and no one's figured it out. Every state is failing one by one in that area as far as supporting them in that business um, journey. So have you have you put together a group yet? Have you, or is this just the beginning of your kind of vision to see how to help these bootstrapping entrepreneurs get money and lift off uh, successfully with their business? No, I, I have agreements in place with several different operators, be it for cultivation, manufacturing, dispensing. Um, and, it, you know, these licensees, I, I can actually help to bring them people who can guide them to actually standing up their business and getting people going in the industry in a way that they actually can 
be a business and yeah. not just a licensee. Mm -hmm. I mean, some thousands of licensees and a few hundred business owners. Right. So the so the so there's a lot of licensees sitting out there. So can you just um, list the services that you offer from A to Z, like how you would take someone if I if I had a successful business and wanted to take on a partner who has another license in another state? How would you what would you do for the two of us? What would I do for the two of us? First, I, I vet you and make sure that you're the right candidate for for somebody to bring on a licensee and to be able to take them from a to z mm -hmm. depends you know you are you willing to do the hiring and the the training and the all the ongoing support there's various levels of support we have to see where you are in order to match you up with the right licensee and for the licensee we have to go through and really look at full service from what you what you are planning on doing what you're capable of doing. What does your team look mm -hmm. like? What is your credit history? What is your access to capital currently? Mm -hmm. What is your history with with, with credit? And things like that, where we, we can actually take you and position you as best we can to be a fundable venture, mm -hmm. you know? And so if we take somebody who's actually a fundable person and match them with a company that other people would love to invest in only they're a private company mm -hmm. and you can't invest in them. So your only way of investing in company A is by investing in that licensing You're right, right. and their real estate and whatever it may be. And and in these agreements, typically, is it like a, a 49, 51 or 52 or whatever? Like, are they how do um, like how do they usually like to structure it? I know some states have rules on this what you can have if you have a license and you're a social equity entrepreneur someone can't well, come in is, and take over is, your license this is the dr adrian adams rule okay <laughs> where i you know uh, why i operate you know by myself is because my rule is you don't get any equity mm -hmm. you have oh okay so no equity no so equity. oh so this is kind of like a goodwill no, it's no. not goodwill. You make good money. Okay. I have no, I, I have no objection to you being paid well for your look. You've put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into your operation. Yes. And your SOPs and all yes. these other things. But I think you should be paid well for that. You should. It's it's all your IP. Yes. You definitely. It definitely has value, and you can get that out of the operations. Mm -hmm. You can be paid well from the operations. Now the licensee is not going to get as paid as well. However, at the end of the, let's say, five-year term. Ah, so you do like a five-year term, kind of like a training five exactly. years, get us off the ground. Exactly. It's, it's so similar to what we were talking about, similar-ish to a franchise model. You can you can, you can can uh, partner with a franchise. At the end of that five years, if you want to keep going, you can. If not, you can walk away, kind the of build your own. The issue different with the franchise is you, you have to you have oh, you to get, be that business. Right. So then you can develop your own brand, but you've learned right. the you know how to, to, to do it. With with what with what I do, you can develop your own brand, your own relationships with other brands. If you're a dispensary, your own relationships with other brands that you want to sell, you can help actually build your community, be, become part of your cannabis community and be a little more woven into the fabric of it. It's a little harder to do 
when you're in a franchise model. Right, right. Yeah, I see the benefits and the differences for sure. So so what is the business agreement? How does the person who has all this experience make money if they're not a business partner, legal business partner? They they have a master services agreement. Okay. Where they 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 do operations just like you would hire somebody to like clean your office. It's a contract. Oh, right. Where they get paid a, from a portion of revenue. Okay, so commission kind of based. Ish. ish. Yeah, I guess like a, a royalty fee ish. Ish. <laughs> it depends. Each, well, each, yeah. each situation is very different. You know, a cultivation is different from a lab, right. different from a dispensary. So each situation is a little different. Um, and you would get different services. You know, like a dispensary is going to get uh, CFO type services. You know, we have the the company that you hire is actually performing the function of a chief financial officer, let's say, that makes sure you're being compliant in the whole nine yards on top of it, because that's something as an investor, you want to make sure yes. it's getting done. Right, right. So, okay, so somebody, uh, say somebody has a dispensary or more than one and wants to partner on this type of agreement, mm -hmm. uh, is going to basically open up another dispensary with this person and they're going to go in and just bring their team in and get it going and train the train that that new venture team and get get that up and running or oversee it <laughs> it, all, it all depends, all depends. It okay depends on the licensee and that team you know and what you're you're, you're meeting up with if you have a licensee that doesn't have any of that sort of requisite experience then yeah you may want to send in as as the the um the corporate partner you may want to send in your whole team and in that case in that particular master services agreement that's much more labor intensive that's so, going to get a higher fee right so, okay so you know i see what I mean? yes, so every, yes every course. deal is different yeah every deal in like, terms of the need right and what percentage you think that you you deserve and what is fair right. and what can be done you know reasonably so what are what are some of the um complaints or or uh questions that some of these businesses might have trying to uh sign up on a deal like this what what are some of their concerns or hesitation what the, are you hearing the, corp, so the experienced corporate the, the, partner yeah, coming it, in yes yes um, just uh because i feel like as a as the business as a licensee you know if you need help you need help this seems like a good deal it's really it's the, hiring the hard part. My the hard part is for me in the beginning is the parent, right? Is the setting of expectations at, in terms of what each side is capable of and will deliver, right? You know the deliverables are key. Everybody's got to be on the same page, and everybody has to understand the strengths. You know, and that's a big part of what I do before we get to the to the table, right? So it, you're negotiating. I'm helping the, the licensee and their team understand what their real capabilities are and what the deficits are so that it makes sense when the person's in front of them, oh, they, they obviously right. have what we need. Right. They're so, strong in the areas where we're weak. Right, right. I think it's a great idea. I think it's a great Me idea. Too. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I, is there any other, did you, Think of this model. Is it based on another industry model that you've heard of? Is, is that does this happen in another industry? Yeah, actually, um, part of it is really in 
it's something it's something that I want to do that it's a, with a side from this, but it's a bigger project. But uh, I looked at the automotive industry and what they did in the like early '90s when they decided they wanted to um, create a diverse set of suppliers mm-hmm. and they wanted to create uh, social equity suppliers. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think it was GM took a former MBA guy, Dave Bing. And basically helped create a company to design designed to provide seat um, parts for mm-hmm. their cars, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. manufacturing, and it like, ended up being a three to four hundred million dollar company in short order, where you have a, you've helped the social equity business kind of fill a need for you. You know, there's a there's a I think it's a great idea. Well, this is someone direct like, model should be done and i brought this to an mso in new york mm-hmm. and i said you're re- you're going to be required to have 50 percent of your shelf space occupied so- by social equity brands so it would behoove you to use the gm model and to create social equity brands that are actually capable of keeping up with your demands right 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 and you know and they got it but they didn't get it Right, because because it it is an interest. It, so the automotive, the automobile uh, example that you gave, uh, it, that's almost like preferred vendors or a vetted vendor list exactly. like companies have, right? So that's exactly. kind of what that yes. is. Okay, it could it could work and it could work quickly because you're working with companies who are successful at doing what they do. Right, <laughs> and and also I I really feel like the MSOs could be interested in this because they're all trying to do something good. Right, but their programs. Hey, I'll are, tell you, they're wasting. But they're wasting their money by doing these full-blown, full-staffed incubator programs within their MSO. But they're not generating any money from it. Where your model, if they took someone under their wings and did that, what did you call it? Business service agreement. Master service. Master yeah. service agreement. They would be generating money and doing good. So. That's where I feel like it could really work. Well, if you're an MSO, you'd also have an outlet for your. Yeah, and that's where you take the outlet. You take, you take. Yes, that's even better. You take the the unfair advantage that you have from day one that you are vertically integrated, and now you basically have a situation where you can outsource and sell your weed that you're growing the excess. To a a company that let's say let's say it's a social equity licensee that has a processing license, right, right. They can make specific whether it's just gummies, just vape pens, whatever it may be, and you buy it back, you win, and they they win. win, yes. And then you both win when you put it on your shelf and you sell it. So you you win multiple times, right? Along so- the West, this is about making money, and MSOs aren't going anywhere. And to be fair, that's a good way. Both sides see the other in an adversarial light. Mm-hmm. It's it's unfortunate. It doesn't have to be that way. There are a few people who, who who are talking like I'm talking, and that you have to learn to work with them, not fight against, against them, them. Right. Be successful despite them. There's a way to integrate integrate it all, and the clock is ticking. Right. Right. I'm running out of time. Right. 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 You know. Cool. Wow, that's great. Thank you. That was that that's really good. So I guess my last question is, how did you 
how did you figure this out? I mean, you're 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 head of the minority for medical marijuana, and that's a whole different cause. And how do, how are you segueing? How are you? Segueing? I'm just a New York director. Our New York director. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, okay, but, New York director. But of, um, uh, you know, I've run my wife's multiple medical practices for several decades now. Um, my doctorate's in organizational leadership. Okay. And I have a Ontogen uh, Botanicals, which is a CBD brand with my disabled daughter. Okay. So I've come from the medical side of the space. And I, I don't know, I just tend to see things from a 100,000 foot perspective. Right, right. And to me, it seems fairly obvious. Yeah. And you we, have the resources to kind of meet it, the people and do it and it, put it together. We have to stop trying to be exclusionary. And look, I'm a New Yorker. I, I'm an East Coast guy. I don't want the help of the West Coast. I don't want the West Coast products, which are just saturated the market or whatever it is. You know, we should bring back that 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 New York, you know, flavor, all the the different strains from the '90s that were huge here, the haze, diesel, things like that. And and actually, that can be done. But let's take from the West Coast their experience, mm -hmm. their their triumphs over their errors instead of just saying you know kiss up we'll just make our own errors as we go along because we don't have that kind of time anymore right 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 don't right that's the reality thank you very much dr adrian adams <laughs> appreciate it very much Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.